I have to say, I would describe myself as not a very good gift giver. And I'll explain why. I'll give you an example to explain why. About, say, a month ago, Tanya and I decided to buy flowers for someone for their birthday. We thought that would be a good idea. And I said, well, I'm going to the Dandenong Market today. I'm going to take a leaf out of Kate Crotty's book. I know Kate buys flowers from the market. I'll get some flowers while I'm there, Tan. And I got to the market and got to the flower stand and there's all these flowers there. And I'm looking at them and they're not set up in nice bouquets. You've you got to choose the flowers. I'm like, what flowers go together? And then I'm like, what sort of flowers does this person like? And even if I get the right flowers, what colours do I have to choose that they, I want a good gift. I want a gift, I want a, I want a gift that's personal and meaningful. Like I don't want to just tick a box. And so I'm there wrestling and going, ah, oh, to the point, and this is a modern thing, I Googled flower arrangements. Give me a quick 10 tips of how to put a flower arrangement together. And um, fortunately, the person behind the counter, I said, do you arrange flowers? And they go, yeah, absolutely. Oh, phew, I've got a little bit of relief that they can help me do what I'm not very good at to get this arrangement of flowers. But then it continued, because even when I got in the car and I'm driving home, I went, what if they're allergic? I was like, do you know I suck at this? I really want to be good at it. I want to be, I want to be right. I want, to, I want a good solution. And it's like that with a lot of things in life. We want to be right. We want to be right. We want to get things right. And yet so often that can be really hard. There's a lot of wisdom on, on T-shirts, I think. Here's one. Of course, I talk to myself. Sometimes I need expert advice. And here's another one. You'll agree with this one, um, Helen. I don't need Google. My husband knows everything. (laughs) But we actually do want to be right. And sometimes a little bit overconfidently, we want to be right. But there is this desire in us, not just buying gifts for people, but in life, we do, on the whole, sometimes think we're right, but we actually do want to be right. And there's a word that describes this process. It's the word discernment. And the the dictionary definition of that is the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is difficult to understand. I think flowers are difficult to understand or or gift giving is difficult to understand and I would love to be able to, to grasp and comprehend that. But in our context, in a spiritual context, it's a little bit more specific than that. It's the spiritual quality of making decisions by recognizing God's will and direction and knowing the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. Discernment. Discernment. Today I want to very briefly unpack four uh, stages or parts of discernment. And for each of them, just a, just a, a key to help unlock those four things. So the first thing I want to unlock is, is desire. So sometimes we don't actually care if we're right or not. Sometimes we don't care 
if what we're thinking is good. That might be motivated because we can't be bothered. It might be motivated because we don't want to change. Or it might be motivated because our pride sort of locks us into where we're at and we want to hold on to something. When it comes to desiring discernment, the key to that is the humility to ask. We've got to realise that it's actually bigger than me. That when we want to understand discernment, it's actually got to be bigger than even us. And if we don't have the humility to ask, then we get locked in this space of not actually having good discernment. The second one is the source of discernment. Now, there's many, many different places you can get information from. But true discernment only comes from God. Only God, and I'm not talking about generic God, I'm talking about Yahweh, can, can determine what's right and wrong, can define right from wrong, good from evil, just from unjust, spiritual from worldly. Determining those things is actually only possible for God. It's fascinating because I only know of one place where Jesus actually specifically prayed for us because he prayed for all believers when it came to the end of his ministry and he was, he was about to head to the cross. The amazing in, in John 16 and 17. I'd really encourage you, if you want to know God's heart, for, for us as followers of Jesus to, to read it. But in John 17, 17, this was his prayer. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. That was Jesus' prayer for us. To make them holy by your truth, teach them your word, which is truth. The source of discernment, of knowing right from wrong, differentiating good from evil, is God. Now, whether we admit it or not, we are actually at risks as Christians of replacing God as our source with intellectualism. Now, what I mean by that is that we're at risk of elevating our own ideas and our own wisdom, our own feelings, and even the feelings of others, and reducing the Word of God and His Holy Spirit to just one of a number of sources. When God becomes part of the pool of sources of information, sources of discernment, it actually then means that our brains are the deciders, our intellect is the decider of what's right or wrong. And we go, God is a source, Dan's a source, the TV's a source. Then do you know who decides what's right and wrong? Me, because I'm feeding those sources and making my own call on it. We've got we've to realise that the second key for discernment, is humility before God. We've got to see ourselves in the picture and that our intellect is not the source of discernment. I am not the source of, my, of discernment. God is the source of my discernment. The third part is around practice. 
Discernment isn't a switch you can just flick on and off. You can't say, cool, discernment switch on, under control, instant, I get right and wrong. It actually requires work to cultivate. It requires something that you actually have to, has to, have to labor at. You have to practice. You have to have a desire for it. You have to know where to source it. But then you have to actually work on discernment. If you're not spending time in God's word, if you're not spending time praying, if you've got no margin and are too busy, my suggestion is take a coin, flip it, and decide where it lands because at least you're going to get 50% right. That's as good as you've got. If you're not prepared to invest in the source, you may as well flip a coin. It turns up heads half the time at least. You're going to get a half right. This is an area that I really, I think we need to really be challenged by as a body. If we're not reading the source, if we're not waiting before the source, if we're not practicing and exercising, how are we going to have any idea of what truth is? How are we going to have any idea that our decisions, that our feelings, that our emotions, that what we invest in, that our houses that we talk about are actually good? We have a need to actually invest, to sow, to cultivate discernment. We need to have the humility to grow if we want to understand practicing discernment. The fourth area is about outcomes. I don't know about you, but even when you do the first three, the results don't always work. Knowing right from wrong doesn't mean a happy ending. Knowing good from bad doesn't mean a happy ending. As much as I think I buy a good gift for someone doesn't mean they'll value and appreciate it. And that could have been, I got it wrong, or it could have been, they just didn't value it. When it comes to outcomes, we've got to have the humility to fail and the grace to let others fail too. Can you see a theme? (laughs) Keys, correct. James says this in chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. There's this assumption that be a bit careful if you want to go and tell people what to do, to teach them, to to train them up because there's, you know, stricter judgment there, but the acknowledgement that actually everybody fails. Everybody makes mistakes. Paul unpacks this idea of discernment and the relationship with humility beautifully in Ephesians. And I just want to read through this passage. 
Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. With the Lord's authority, just want to pause a second. Lord's authority. Had this conversation with uh, brother-in-law last night. What's a modern word for Lord? Because Lord is, is sort of, you know, aristocrat sort of model of, like, what would you replace Lord with? Because Lord's not really useful. Master's not really useful. CEO, but Lord sort of has a sense of reverence and respect. Boss doesn't even have a sense of, so context. Yeah, so in this sense, what would you describe, when, if someone says, it says Lord, what does Lord mean? What does it mean? The one over us? Who's over us? How dare they? <laughs> I'm pointing out something about I'm, I'm going to ignore that one um, I'm pointing out something that is culturally an issue because when we talk about the source being God we actually have destroyed any sense of a Lord in our culture there are no Lords there are no Masters there is no one over us how dare they <laughs> there's a problem there. There's a battle for us to face when we come to this idea of discernment because we don't want any Lord. Culturally, we don't like Lords. We resist them. We pull them down from their high places because who dare tell me what to do? And again, it's not, this Lord is not being lorded over. This is a place of honour and respect. The Lord of the house is someone that you go, they protect me, they look after me, they have my best interests at heart, but what they say goes. That model is going, is being dissolved. So just something to be watching because whenever it says Lord, I suspect we actually disassociate with that word. But what it's saying, with the Lord's authority, with the one who is genuinely over us, as Peter's saying, I say this. So he's trying to make this significant. No longer live as the Gentiles do, Gentiles being the non-believers, for they are hopelessly confused. They're tossing coins for their choices. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him, lacking humility. Having lost all sensitivity, lost discernment, lost sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed again. Lacking humility, greed beings for self. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Just think about that for a second. Let the Spirit Renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. 
It paints this picture of desire, of source, of practice, of, of, of exercise, of, of cultivating, and, and even of outcomes. Because it says that there is good outcomes, or there is the potential of good outcomes. This isn't actually be better message, get your act together message. Because everything I've talked about in this space is actually referring to a gift. This is something that is offered to us. And I want to demonstrate this practically, an illustration. I have a gift. And I did have someone in mind, so I'm wrapped at the here this morning. Matt, I have a gift for you. Do you want to come up and grab this gift? I know you love being up the front. I'm sorry about that part. I thought of you during the week. I wasn't sure if it was discernment or not because I could have got it wrong and you weren't going to be here. Can you open this gift? You're a dad, so, so it's Father's Day. I hope it's a good gift. It's not a prank. I, I'm hoping it's genuinely a good gift. So it's not flowers from the market. I hope I've done better than that. A little drone. Good gift. Now, it's, um, it came from China, so the box is a little bit bad. I can guarantee it's brand new. However, could you open it for me, please? Yeah, yeah. I'll also give one confession that it has actually already been opened so that I could charge the batteries and put batteries in it. So... <laughs> I wanted to make sure it was a good gift. That's right. That's right. Did you want to fly it for people? Let's just pause for a second. Did Matt have to take the gift? No. Did he? He didn't choose the gift. He's actually, there's a, there's actually a real posture of humility here. <laughs> awesome. We're now at the third point of practice. Right? He has no idea how to use it. So if you, if you move this one up and down once. Yep, beautiful. And then the other one moves its direction left and right. And there we go. There we go. Fantastic. Now, if you just want to leave it there for a second or keep it about level, and then can you press the button on the right-hand side? There. And then press an arrow. Uh, move, move. Move this one around. Press it again, and then move one. Oh, did you see it do a flip? Woo! Awesome. Thank you. That's yours, Matt. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. <laughs> There's a little charging cable there, too. Absolutely. That was the aim. I don't know what that beeping is. It didn't do that for me. It's special. <laughs> There's a huge amount of jealousy in this room right now. That's part of the picture I wanted you to receive. Who wants discernment? There is a gift there waiting for you, wrapped up, ready for you to take home and use today. 
If you're jealous of a tiny little drone, are you jealous of someone who actually knows the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, can discern God's will and purpose? Absolutely you should be. There is a gift there that you have to be humble to receive. Matt had no idea what was in the box. He had to very graciously come up and receive it. And even when he opened the box and I asked him to use it, guess what? The gift didn't play with itself. He had to work out how to use it. He had to listen to what I was saying for instruction to use it. The gift just didn't make itself work. Discernment is something that requires cultivating. We've got to know who's given us the gift. We've got to cultivate it. And when it falls on the ground, when it makes beeps, is it okay? Of course it's okay. It was never given to be the perfect gift that just worked by itself. It was given to explored and wrestled with and taken and, and enjoyed. This isn't a get better message, do better, work harder. You have been given a gift. And I just encourage you to play with the gift. Use it, explore it. When I say play, I don't mean take it lightly, but embrace it. Cultivate it. Do you read your word? Now, I'm not talking about memes. I'm not talking about YouTube clips of of people preaching. Get into God's Word. Do you know how many times I have an idea that I want to share on a Sunday that I think that, that I think I want to share and I go, ah, oh, this verse will back me up on my idea. And I go to the verse and it actually says something different than what I imagined. You've got to go back to the source. You've got to go back to the source. How much time do you spend in prayer? And this is not about time. I'm not, not trying to say work harder. But do you, do you actually sow into this gift? Is discernment something that you love, that you're jealous of? Are you jealous that people have the Holy Spirit to listen to? Like, that takes time. You've got to actually stop and ask God questions. <laughs> You've got to actually ponder. You've got to have margin. That could go home and sit on a shelf somewhere and never be used again. And it might. That's not up to me. That's up to Matt. That's, you know, that's how it is. What have you done with the gift of discernment? God never owed you that. There's nowhere in Scripture that says God owes you the answer. You aren't owed the knowledge of God. It's a gift. It's a blessing. He's given you a mind and said you can do better than 50-50. You don't have to be hopelessly confused. And his spirit is there to do that with us. I was going to give a Blues Brothers quote. You get wise, you go to church. But the actual scripture says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. And if you want to be wise, you've got to be humble. Because you and I aren't the source. You and I aren't the the make it or break it part of the picture. And when we exercise it and we get it wrong, 
we weren't surprised by that. We keep going back to the source and we keep practicing. If Matt spends 20 minutes a day playing with that thing, I guarantee you next week when he walks in, he'll be running circles around the place. Not because he got it right all the time, but because he cultivated it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the gift of discernment. We thank you so much that you love us and you care for us and you even value our choices so much that you would invest in that place. We thank you for your word, your truth that has been revealed. We thank you for the way Jesus brought that to life and modelled and testified of your goodness and your kingdom. We thank you for the revelation that you've brought to our hearts, Lord God, of your goodness, of your love and of your truth. Father, I pray that your gift would be unwrapped and explored today. I pray your gift of discernment would be something that you continue to nurture in our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that as a people, we would be known as discerning people. Lord God, that we would be known as people that are wise, that consider, that cultivate what it is you are offering us today. I thank you so much, Lord God, for the gift. And I pray you would help us practice discernment in this house, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.